O'Connor Notorious McGregor enters the political ring and puts on his gloves to question the Irish government due to the recent attacks from foreign asylum seekers that have overrun Ireland. We will see how this new form of illegal immigration is not only overwhelming Irish and European natives, but Americans as well. Let's get into it. While you won't be watching this episode until after Giving Tuesday, that doesn't mean that it is too late to support your local watchdog group. Consider donating to Palmetto State Watch, which is South Carolina's premier watchdog group that is actively exposing corruption on the state, county, and local level. I also have a really special offer for businesses. The Magnifying Glass podcast is opening up breaks in our weekly episodes for local businesses to advertise on our program. If you or someone you may know is interested in bringing your advertising to the next level with someone that you can trust, email all inquiries to us at magnifyingglasspodcast at gmail.com. That is magnifyingglasspodcast at gmail.com and you will see a link for that in the description. Welcome to the 15th episode of the Magnifying Glass podcast. I'm your host, Alina Moore, and I'm joined today by none other than the American Stoic. The man, the myth, the legend, the fighter who even got me into UFC, and the king of trash talk has jumped into the octagon of illegal immigration crisis that is coming to a head in Ireland, across the world, and in your backyard. On Thanksgiving, for those those of us in America... A lot of us probably weren't paying attention, but given my addiction, some would say, to social media, I was all over Twitter and immediately started seeing in the early early afternoon our time, but it was it was getting into the evening in Ireland, the place where it happened, reports of a mass stabbing event, which, again, to be fair, is not that unusual in Ireland or in the uh, EU in general, just because you have you know great gun laws and there's not a lot of private gun ownership. And a lot of guns on the street, but does not mean that uh, there is no such thing as crime sprees or mass casualty events. So Dublin was the victim of another one. This one was a little bit worse than on, on the public perception level, just because that it seemed that many of the victims were very young kids that were just getting out of school in the heart of Dublin. And not a lot was known. But the first reports, again, like many of the other ones, like we saw with the Dublin airport stabbing earlier, were that this was a migrant who had been in Ireland for a significant period of time. We weren't sure how much at that point. Uh, and that this was basically just an act of anger taken out on the innocent population of Ireland because you had a refugee who had come here from you know, a third world country somewhere in Africa or the Middle East. Again, not sure, not sure where at this point the public was made aware of what had happened, who was responsible, and and all of that. There was a, basically an immediate reaction. So Thursday night, the evening of Thanksgiving here in, the, in America, again, you had riots. There were burning uh, city transportation, the double decker buses that that we all all of us know in America and kind of associate with the UK. Yeah. Uh, you had going after police cars, burning police cars out. And so you, all of this was directed at city or, or in some way government products or, or uh, infrastructure or whatever. So people, they were holding responsible because in the eyes of the Irish people, it was the Irish government who had let these people in. And so it was on the Irish government to then do something about it. So again, 
you have all of the people on the left in Ireland and across the EU and across the world saying, oh, it's the far right in Ireland that hates uh, migrants, they're racist and all that, but they were not doing anything but going after government property, right? So city transportation, uh, obviously the Garda, the, the police in Ireland. And, but the funny thing is, is that while all this quote-unquote chaos was taking place, particularly in the heart of Dublin, you have migrants who then do what they do and started looting places like Foot Locker, Nike, and just kind of walking out with arms full of merchandise. So now what this did was it kind of just gave the cover to the media and to the politicians to just basically blanket everybody as it's chaos, it's a riot, they're looters, but you really had two completely different groups in the streets at the exact same time doing two completely different things. You had, again, the Irish nationalists, if you want to call them that. I don't think that's a bad word. I know the media wants to make you believe it's a bad word, but I don't think it is. Basically saying the government has failed us by bringing or letting in, I should say, all of these people with you know dangerous backgrounds, criminal proclivities, and nothing has been done to ensure the safety of the Irish people. Even after they have been given deportation orders or committed crimes, they're not, they are never, ever, ever sent home, basically, particularly in Ireland, which is a particularly soft stance on, on immigrants. But it makes sense for the Irish natives to blame their government for it because it's not, 100%. It, there's, logically speaking, it's completely sound. So it's very hard to use these red herrings and um, these other unrelated seems to be incidents to the, well, I don't even know if you would call it unrelated because there seems to be one correlation there between the riots and the killings. Yeah, I believe it was on Wednesday. Uh, a, a, it came out a report on the proclivities of immigrants based on their point of origin to commit crimes in Western countries once they complete their process of immigration. Definitely not assimilation, but immigration. So that once they're set up in that country. So let's just run through some of the more enlightening pieces of information um, that, that came out from all of this. So this was, again, from the Netherlands, but it, it's pretty applicable to all of the European Union just because of how freedom of movement works once you get in once you cross an EU border, you're basically just free to go wherever you want. Mm -hmm. So you're going to see these same trends in between countries, although this data particularly comes from the Netherlands. So in the Netherlands, 70% of Moroccan immigrants are suspected of a crime by the time they reach 30. 70%. Wow. So almost three out of every four Moroccan migrants that reaches the Netherlands will commit a crime by the time mm. they're 30. Now, you all, obviously, everybody believes in national sovereignty and the ability of a government to decide who is it's going to let in and not based on the relative benefit that that individual will provide to the country. Then you also have the other side, which is you have uh, refugees. So you're fleeing a, a crisis, whether it's a war or a natural disaster or whatever. But the, the laws on, on seeking asylum or refugees, whatever you want to call it, are a lot different than what you would have with just regular like visa immigration or anything like that. Because generally, you're supposed to go to the closest country that is not suffering from a significant conflict, right? So if you just go the one country Which... over, not you wouldn't go from Libya to the Netherlands. Right, okay? on the that, other that side of Europe. Refugees. On right. the Atlantic no, absolutely Ocean. Absolutely not. No. And, uh, you know, continuing in the Netherlands, 
Individuals of African origin are four to five times more likely to be involved in crime slash offenses compared to native populations. And specifically uh, five times in the Mashareb region, which is like the northwestern part of Africa, which includes Algeria, which we will see becoming a trend uh, here in a second. And then the rest of Africa is, is, is four times more likely. And again, you know, Afghanistan and Pakistan are uh, three times as likely. And so that whole corner of the corner of the world where you have Africa and the Middle East, immigrants from that side of the world, for whatever reason, right? It, I'm not saying why, I'm not drawing any conclusions. These are just the facts borne out in the crime statistics. In the Netherlands, people of non-Western immigration background make up around 40% of those implicated in assaults. Uh, they only account for 14% of the population. So again, goes back to they're accounting for about four times uh, their own population in the, in the crime numbers. And that includes 61% of all robberies. And then following the, the attack in Dublin and then another one in France in the next day, they came out with more statistics on Algerians specifically across Europe. So in Germany, Algerians are 10 times more likely uh, to be suspected of crimes than native uh, German citizens. In Italy, it's 17 times more likely to be suspected of crimes. And in Spain, it's 10 times more likely. So you're, you're looking at an astronomical increase in crime if you just import a small number of Algerians into your into your community. And this is and it can happen nationally or on a local, like just a, a small town of six. And this is based off of crimes that have happened in the past in these countries. Yes. 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 That is so interesting. I mean, if you think about these numbers, it's even hard to wrap your head around, but you have to also understand, okay, we have America, which is as broad as it is, but we're talking about small countries here. The Netherlands is mm -hmm. very tiny. I know when I was in there, it only takes a few hours on a train to get through the whole thing. It's very, very small, and it's also not far away from Ireland as well where we see a lot of these impacts, but I'd love to know why is an island having these issues when they are so wrong, uh, far away from these the original country of these asylum seekers? Well, I mean, as you know, you know, I, I know you spent some time uh, in the EU. The the one big thing with with the EU versus let's say America is is one, as you just said, distance. Right? The EU is a lot mm -hmm. smaller than I think Americans realize. So going across the EU is not as a uh, monumental a journey as we might see or think it is in America. It's not like going from New York to LA, right? It, it's not that distance. The other thing is you just, you have no inhibition when you're, you're crossing national borders. So, you know, if you're thinking, oh, well, you entered the EU in Turkey and now you're in Ireland, how did that happen? You must have crossed, I don't know, eight or nine national right. borders to do that. No, there are no national borders once you get into the EU. That freedom of movement is just continuous. And so that also kind of facilitates the flow of migrants from one side of Europe to the right, other. Right, and it's easily. very easy. I mean, when I was living for a short time visiting in, in Belgium, I mean, you could really get anywhere with just a few euros and you could cross all sorts of countries within the EU and no one would bat an eye. I mean, you never got checked. There was really no way of telling who was where at what time. You could go pretty much anywhere that that was within the European Union. And that was the biggest selling point that the separate countries pitched to get 
their citizens involved and on the on board with joining the European Union because it's easier to cross borders and you don't have to deal with certain issues. But now look at where we are now. We've got a, they've got a bunch of an overload of illegal immigration just because you can come through really at any time and there's no tracking it. So with that in mind, there was a very interesting article that was sent to me by one of our listeners and a, a person who appears on Palmetto State Watch as a writer, the frugal curmudgeon. And it was interesting because he did not know what our topic for our podcast was, but he had some interesting t- statistics that he wanted to send to us. And honestly, it couldn't have fit any better. One of the articles that he sent was actually written on November 24th. So just last week in 2023 from the European Conservative. And this article is entitled The Phantom Menace of the Irish, quote unquote, far right. It states that, quote, in just the last 20 years, the population of Ireland has increased from 4 million to almost 5.3 million, a 30% increase in less than a single generation. Most of that is due to migration. For comparison, imagine if France, in the same amount of time, had added 20 million people to its population, or the United States, on the other hand, welcomed 100 million to its shores. That would have been the equivalent of adding two and a half Californias and almost three Texases in almost two decades, end quote. Now, it's really interesting looking at these statistics because if you compare it to my home native state of South Carolina, these are almost the exact same numbers as what has been happening with the South Carolina population in the last 20 years. Um, The frugal curmudgeon did some research on it and found that the population of South Carolina has increased nearly 30% since 2000, just 20 years around about. And as a side note, the illegal immigration under Biden is nearly double the population of South Carolina. So it's like adding some to a South Carolina city every single week, most likely. But I would almost bet that the vast majority of this growth is from people who do not share the southern culture of South Carolina. It's really interesting when you start to look at the affirm and accommodate the attitudes of outsiders when it comes to a different culture. You have a lot of different expectations that are being brought in that are not from that local area. This 30% increase And Liam and I were talking about this earlier, but the 30% increase number does explain a lot of the housing crisis and other main shifts and challenges that South Carolina has faced over the last few decades. You would think, oh, well, there's not a housing crisis in South Carolina, and there hasn't been because it's a rural state, right? That would make sense. Personally, for the past few years, I have been following along the housing market of South Carolina. And let me tell you one thing. I very rarely see a house on the market for less than a couple of months. I mean, it seems that if it pops up, it's sold almost immediately. And the same when it comes to foreclosures. There's not as many foreclosures as you would think there'd be in such a rural area. But the foreclosures actually make a pretty decent profit from these people who come in all cash, willing to pay whatever it is for this piece of property, house, whatever. 
Well, I mean, I'm not too familiar with the housing market in, in South Carolina, but I do know that it's been a significant issue in, in Ireland as well. And I mean, obviously all across America, but in, in Ireland and across Europe. And I actually wanted to highlight something um, regarding the immigration specifically to, to Ireland. And, you know, the numbers are very interesting, kind of correlating that with, with, with your state of South Carolina. But one thing that South Carolina does not do is pay Ukrainian refugees 220 euros a month, or excuse me, a week, uh, just just to house them. And so one of the huge issues that, that we have seen in Ireland has been the basically just dumping of, I think, I believe it's 80,000 uh, refugees that have been 81,000, according to the Irish Times, between April of 2022 and April of 2023. Um, and they're, so they're collecting serious checks. It's actually five times more than you get paid as a refugee of any other uh, mm -hmm. nationality. So, I mean, I guess, I guess Ireland's really doing their part uh, to fight Putin by making sure that all of the men of Ukraine are incentivized to leave the war zone. I don't really know what the correlation there is or, or what the motivation is. But again, when you look at, you know, a native population, we're in a bad economy, you know, it's not just where you are. It's not just in South Carolina. It's not just in the United States. It's not just in Ireland. It's, it's everywhere. In the whole Western world, we are in a really, really bad economy. We basically every area has a housing crisis. And the uncontrolled immigration on the United States southern border and the uncontrolled immigration across uh, the European Union from the Middle East and from North Africa, it's causing real problems for native-born Irish, native-born Americans, native-born you know, Frenchmen. Wherever you look, particularly the younger generations, unable to afford housing, unable to buy their own house, and so they're basically just forced into this life of surf serfdom yeah. by just you're forced to rent. It's, it's the only option. And so whenever you see the the effects, again, it's not just crime. It's not just housing. It's not just, you know, driving down wages because you have a glut of, of workers that are, that are being brought in. It's everything combined. And so whenever you add the, the pressure of that, the stress of having a bad economy, not being able to feed your family, and then you have, you know, Algerians who, again, the Dublin airport attack, Earlier this year, I believe it was in, in, in May or June of this year, the guy had been a resident of, of Ireland for 10 years, and he was upset that his social welfare payments were being slashed. Okay, The, the guy, that the Algerian that committed the last stabbing in, at the Dublin school, he'd been in, a, in Ireland for 30 years. Right. And people say this like, oh, he's, it's not uh, he's not a migrant anymore. Like he's Irish. Right. It's actually worse. This is actually a worse look for left pro immigration, because what that means is that you can move to a country, not work for 30 years, live on the government dole. But if your government benefits ever get slashed, then you're going to go stab, you know, a five year old Irish girl and leave her in the hospital for at least mm -hmm. a week still in critical condition. OK. That is a worse look. That is not a good look for the left on, on, and on that's, their whole immigration. And that's where we stance. see this difference of assimilation and pluralism. I mean, if you went back 50 years or, or 100 years or what, however you want to look at it, you know, there was this standard of if you migrate to a different country, you would assimilate into the culture and, and, and with the people. But we see that difference there, that assimilation and pluralism is not mutually exclusive. 
They may occur in various combinations within society. Some racial and ethnic groups may assimilate while others maintain or even increase their differences. We're seeing such an overload right now of mass illegal immigration is how I would call that. I mean, they want to change it up and say, oh, it's asylum seekers. Oh, it's, you know, this and that. It's, it's the same thing with CRT. It's the same thing. You can call it ES, ELS, whatever. I don't care. But it is all the same idea. You know, pluralism, on the other hand, is based on a value system that we all hold in, con- you, uh, all hold in common, while multiculturalism is based on the lowest common denominator of values within a society. While pluralism allows for many different groups to kind of kind of assimilate better, but unlike multiculturalism, it does not try to impose one uniform status on all of them. But what we are seeing here is really a lot of multiculturalism that is bashing heads with the natives in the area. Yeah. And I, and I want to get to, to Conor McGregor and, and his role in all of this. But before I do, I, I just want to highlight you know, we, we keep mentioning asylum seekers and all of that. Yeah. Okay. So you just had a stabbing in, I believe it was in Wexford uh, in, in Ireland. And an Egyptian man was stabbed by a Somalian, I believe. Again, these are two countries. They're not at war, right? They are not in any way. Mm-hmm. These men should not be here. Okay. Now you have tri- some form of tribal violence being inflicted in Ireland, sometimes not even against Irish you know, citizens, but still violence taking place in Irish communities by two foreign nationals that have no business being there. Again, they are not refugees. They are not there uh, to provide any economic incentive or growth to the country. And this goes back to what type of migrants is the EU receiving? And so this is probably one of the most interesting reports that I've seen in a long time coming out of of the EU. So according to the European Border Agency, only 8% last year, 8% of migrants smuggled into Europe were women. 8%. 92% were men. Okay. And so if you're saying, if there's a humanitarian crisis, right, if there's a humanitarian crisis in a Mm -hmm. country, whether it's a war or natural disaster, who's leaving? The women and children, right? Who's staying? The men. If there's a war going on, Who's staying to fight the war? The men. Who's mm-hmm. fleeing the war? The women. Okay. This is not in any way, shape, or form a refugee crisis, an asylum seeker crisis. And going back to what you're talking about, the assimilation, it's not an assimilation. And and they go out and tell you there's so many interviews with small journalists on the street just saying, why are you guys here? What are you coming here to do? Right? They, Most of them, almost all of them are there for religious purposes, let me put it to you that way, that they're there on behalf of their Muslim religion trying to get rid of infidels. It's basically the goal. And, you know, we see this all the way up in Canada, right? Why why would you think that there would be a huge Muslim population in Canada? How How would they get all the way there? But you see the exact same language and the anti white vitriol that has come out all across the West. If you look at that mass stabbing that happened the day after the stabbing in Dublin, 17 kids were stabbed in France at a, in a town of 600. They're having a festival that was organized by the small town of 600. And 17 of them were stabbed by a gang of somewhere between 10 and 20 Algerian Muslims. You know, And I think there's nine or 10 eyewitnesses that have all come out and testified that they're all screaming uh, anti-white hate, basically, while committing this mass, another mass casualty event. And so the reaction to this 
at least in Ireland, and I think a lot of people have latched onto it, not just across the EU, but in America as well, it has kind of been led by Conor McGregor, right? And so once once this happened on, on Thursday of last week, he was basically immediately retweeting videos and taking a very, very calculated approach and response to videos of not only the, the quote-unquote violence that was happening that night by, by the protesters and then also by the looters, uh, but also responding to politicians, responding to the media on Twitter, quote tweeting different videos of uh, you have the the Irish Prime Minister coming out and saying that they need to pass strict laws regarding the the speech and conduct uh, and, and digital material that is allowed on the phones of Irish citizens. Right, not saying anything about removing the the people who who commit mass casualty events against his own citizens. He wants to police what's on your phone. When you think about it, all law, all legislation is about the restriction of freedom. That's exactly what we're doing here, is we are restricting freedom, but we're doing it for the common good. You will see throughout our constitution, yes, you have rights, but they are restricted for the common good. Everything needs to be balanced. And if your views on other people's identities go to make their lives unsafe, insecure, and cause them such deep discomfort that they cannot live in peace, then I believe that it is our job as legislators to restrict those freedoms for the common good. And so, and so Conor McGregor was, was really quite eloquent in some of the, uh, the tactics that he employed by responding to these people. So the Irish Prime Minister this morning, actually, on the, uh, on the floor of, of, of the Irish Parliament, said that he did not want people to connect crime with migration. The terrible events that, that, that occurred on Parnell Square uh, on Thursday, you know, I, I really would ask people to, to try and avoid um, connecting uh, crime with migration. Um, it's not right. Um, yes, of course, um, people who are migrants uh, might commit crimes, uh, just as people who aren't commit crimes. Uh, in a country of 5.3 million people, if you have hundreds of thousands of migrants, there are going to be a few of them. Uh, who commit terrible crimes, just as there are people born and bred in Ireland who commit terrible crimes every day, uh, including murders. And when I see what happened in Parnell Square, um, what I see is uh, a suspect who is a migrant, although a citizen, and somebody here for over 20 years. Um, I see a five-year-old child in hospital today, both her parents coming from a migrant, migrant background, uh, and her um, uh, born in Ireland. Uh, and of the five or six people who intervened to stop the attack, four of those six uh, are migrants to this country. It's totally wrong to try and make out uh, that there's a connection um, between crime and migration based on what happened on Parnell Street. The, the, the alleged assailant, uh, the victims, and those who stopped the attack. Thank you, Taoiseach. Most of them from migrant background. Now, going back to all the statistics that we referenced earlier, there is clearly, clearly, a correlation between where a migrant comes from and their likelihood to commit crime. So he may say that he don't, does not want you to associate you know, crime with migration. Basically, what he's doing is asking you to ignore the statistics and the facts of the matter. Okay, But leaving that aside, Conor McGregor yeah. does not just rail against him in some blatant tirade. He takes a very, a very really po mm -hmm. almost political response, uh, but obviously with some populism underlining it. So he says, I do not connect crime with migration. So he kind of immediately agrees with the premise that was laid out by the Irish PM. 
He says, I connect crime to the government's many failed policies in protecting and securing the, securing the inhabitants of Ireland. Again, so he's kind of setting, this is, the, this is the promise of government, this is the role of government, and it has been, fail, you have failed to uphold that role of government, your government. There's a real lapse in national security. We need a brand new task force founded to assess all entrance into Ireland. Our natives and our visitors will all benefit with this peace of mind. We need deportation of those here illegally or that have committed a crime here. So now he's almost kind of walking back what he was saying about not connecting crime and migration because he's saying if there is a connection, we should act on it, right? Which, again, I don't think anybody's disagreeing with this, that if you go through the immigration systems properly, I don't think anybody's saying that you should be deported, you know, if you if your family has been in Ireland for generations or, or decades, right? Nobody's saying that. But if you've been in, in Ireland, as, as the Dublin attacker was, for 30 years, and been on welfare the entire time, and then commit a mass casualty event because you are upset that your government welfare is being slashed, why would you remain in Ireland? What possible reason should the Irish government have to mm -hmm. continue to pay you? Because that's what they're doing. They are paying him every week to be a threat to the children of Ireland. Okay, that makes no sense. And Conor McGregor is just basically harping on that, connecting with that populist mentality. And so, you know, he's been very, very active on Twitter not without his repercussions. Yeah. Not without his repercussions. You know, Connor though. has always been known for his his words. Let's put it that way. I he has a very artful way of stringing together more trash talk than you can imagine and sometimes you don't even think it's going to be trash talk until he finishes it off, finishes it off kind of similar to what he did in that tweet. So it, it, to me it was a little humorous to mm -hmm. see that and I love seeing him taking on this role of protecting his country because in the past you know as a fighter it's more like oh you're protecting your family they have this whole background talking about you know where they've come from and the story that they put together. But now we are seeing the real him. We're really seeing it come out here. And that is coming with, like you said, a lot of repercussions as the Irish government has announced an investigation into him. I just don't know how you can justify investigating someone who has really put you on the map of the 21st century. To say it is mind-blowing would be an understatement. To say it's a miscarriage of justice would be an understatement. Because really, it's it's pretty clear what this is. It's pretty clear that this is just yet another attempt to beat down any type of populism, any type of support for native Irish citizens, native Irishmen, right? A very small country that, you know, Ireland has, what, 5.1 some odd million people. And you're saying that, oh, maybe we shouldn't be overrun beyond recognition by migrants from Algeria and Libya and Pakistan and Syria. Again, these are these are countries with populations, you know, between 5, 10, 20 times the size of Ireland. It's just amazing that the government that has failed to protect its people time and time again, as soon as somebody calls them out on that, they launch an investigation into their tweets. Right? We don't care. We're we don't care that we paid um, a mass a mass stabber, thirty for thirty years. We don't care about that. We don't care that we 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 uh, paid the guy who attacked the the passengers at Dublin Airport for ten years, right? We it's don't care about that. Tweets. That's not an investigation. Deja vu, anybody? It it. I I cannot. 
wrap my mind around it. And look, and if the Irish population does not stand up, this is going to get really, really bad really, really fast for them. Because you've already seen the next day, the PM, the Indian, the homosexual Indian Can we just take a moment? Can we take a moment? Conversation. Just the prime, right. the prime minister. I wasn't going to. Is an Indian homosexual for Ireland? I mean, and then you look. I mean, just you look at the mayor of London. You, uh, never Your mind. head might not explode. Gonna go that never, not going to go down that road. Okay. All right. Yeah, might explode. Might get us deplatformed. We'll never know. So, it's just incredible. The abject failure. Of this government, because again, not only they're investigating Conor McGregor for his tweets, they have proposed legislation that if you are caught with material on your phone, possessing it, right, not not posting it, not distributing it, just possessing it on your phone, that leads to incitement of violence against any group. That means that you can go to prison, which basically means that all of the graphics that I put up there on, oh, well, if you're from this region of Africa, you commit crimes at five times uh, higher rate than native-born Irishmen or native-born people from the Netherlands, right? That, I could be in prison for that because I am now inciting violence against people from Algeria, okay? And don't think that can't happen here. There's a reason why hate crimes legislation has passed unanimously with bipartisan Mm -hmm. it's coming everywhere it it, is just they just fast-tracked it in ireland and so it's one of the reasons that i actually want to do this show so much is because i really 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 wanted to highlight just how important this is in ireland because again this is coming everywhere you're clearly seeing the moves and, and the groundwork being laid for this here in america in france really all across the eu with uh, a lot of the legislation right. that has been proposed in the eu regarding uh governing social media and all of that but they just really fast-tracked it with ireland yeah. because they, they kind of saw an opportunity here and and they're just jumping on it so i really wanted to make sure that people were aware of just how restrictive this legislation that is being proposed in ireland is regarding the possession of incitement to violence material again Mm -hmm. you don't have to post it you don't have to send it to anybody if you just have it if you download it off of the internet and just saved in your offline camera roll you could still be charged for that that is insane and and the people of ireland but also really just freedom yeah loving people all across the west really need to wake up because this is not a single issue it's not just about housing it's not just about the economy it's not just about jobs it's not just about migration yeah. it is really a, an all-out an attack i mean this on is the everything way this life. is the climax of everything we have been seeing the past several mm-hmm. decades and if you can't wake up now and and look in the face of these issues it's hard for me to even see if you're going to wake up i mean we saw that you know, South Carolina was one of the last standing states to not pass hate crimes legislation. Volkswagen moved in and said they wouldn't come in unless they were promised that hate crimes legislation and other ESG legislation was passed. Guess what happened at the end of session? They extended session to pass hate crimes. And people said it couldn't be possible. Well, it can be, even if you have a Republican supermajority. And we are seeing it all across America right now. And don't tell me that hate crimes is where it start, stops, because that is just where it begins. I don't. If, if, if you say anything is where it stops after the last 10 years, yeah, no. I can't help you. This is the it thought never police. Stops, right? Whether it's, you know, legalization of gay marriage or transgender acceptance or now we've just got to trans the kids and it'll stop there. 
No. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome Open to the Thought eyes. Police. Well, thank you for joining us today on the Magnifying Glass podcast. We delve deep, bringing the overlooked into focus and magnifying the stories that matter to you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and share, helping us shine a light on even more discoveries. I'm your host, Elena Moore, and remember, sometimes the smallest details make the biggest difference. Until next time, keep looking closer.